Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 603. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. You're welcome. Yeah, we are people, and here we are. <laughs> Whew. It is a wild and woolly time in our lives, to say the least. But yeah. this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel. We got a lot to talk about this week from games, comics, movies, TV, whatever we're excited about, and maybe some other stuff that's going on in our lives. Yeah. And I just want to start off the show strong by telling you guys I'm going to be taking a little break. <laughs> Summer vacation, y'all. <laughs> Spring break. Um, I'm going to take a little break from the show. I plan to come back this fall, so I will be hoping to see you then. But I do have a treat for you. A very dear friend to Ryan and I will be filling in while I'm away. Uh, our pal Angelique Rocher. And in fact, we have her on the show this week. She's going to be speaking with Jason Reynolds about his new book, Miles Morales Suspended, a Spider-Man novel. And uh, let's take a little listen. Spidey sense is something I was born and raised with. My mama gave me Spidey sense, right? Like, you better know when the trouble is coming, right? <laughs> you better know, right? And like, what does that mean? All right, that's coming up later on in the show, and Angelique will be coming on later on to the series this week in Marvel. Um, so look out for her and give her lots and lots of love and a very warm welcome on our behalf, please. Yes, Angelique will be hopping into the co-host chair starting next week. And don't worry, Lorraine, people say the phrase, well, keep your seat warm, which means uh, I assume that Angelique will just be farting up a storm <laughs> every episode, keeping your chair warm. So we'll be fine. Wow. Wow. I'm sure Angelique would love that as yeah. her preface to the show. <laughs> Get ready for this, Angelique. Here we go. Oh. All right. Uh, another thing we have later in this episode is a new Marvel Insider code. Yeah. So you can get some cool stuff. We'll talk about that later. Yes. All uh, right. We, we got to get through yeah. actually something really cool because we have big hear it here first Daredevil comic book news, something super big, and we are exclusively revealing it right now. It's time to pass the Billy Club. Later this year, writer and comics bad boy Chip Zdarsky wraps up his more than four-year, 50-plus issue run as writer of Daredevil with writer and comics good boy Saladin Ahmed stepping in to write Old Hornhead's ongoing adventures. And to discuss it, we've got both Chip and Saladin here to talk about it. Hello, Chip. Look, first of all, uh, I told you before not to call me uh, the bad boy of comics. I'm the terrible boy of comics. There's a big difference. Everyone knows I'm terrible. This is true. Hi, yeah. Saladin. Hey, um, I mean, I like Naughty Boy personally, but you know, whatever. Right. You, can, you can take that. You can take that one. We know it's going to go on the last and first issues of your respective runs, which is <laughs> perfect for us to talk about. The final issue of Chip's run is number 14 on sale in August, and the first of Saladin's is in September. And, um, you know, it kind of seems like a fun tradition for Daredevil writers to just honestly make a whole mess of Matt's life and his world and just leave it for the next creative team to work through. Did y'all have a Daredevil conference, a ceremony to sort of work through and discuss this transition? Well, well first of all, I, I had a similar thing with Charles Soule, the previous writer of Daredevil, in which we had a meeting where uh, I'd already written issue one, and I said to him, you know, hey, there's a history of messing over the, the incoming writer. And uh, he said, yeah, it's a good idea. I'm going to kill Daredevil. I was like, no, you, no, you can't. Please don't do that. Uh, that would really mess me up. And so he just he had him hit by a bus, and 
he, he got better because uh, Daredevil gets better. It's what he does. I've, I've heard him a lot in my run. He seems to just kind of keep going. I don't know how. So with, uh, with Saladin and myself, we had a fair amount of time to actually kind of like cross paths on this because I kind of knew my ending for a long time. And Marvel wisely knew Saladin was the man for the job early on in the process. So, yeah, I, I have screwed him over a little bit. He saw it coming a mile away, so he can't be mad at me the way I was mad at Charles. Right? I can always be mad at you, Chip. But, <laughs> but I'm not mad at I you. I am the terrible this. boy. <laughs> not about this. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it was It was also some real nice serendipity in terms of, you know, we, we, with these characters who've been around for ages, we, we often walk around with some some notions of some takes that we might have on them were we to write them. And uh, the place that Chip landed with Matt just ended up synchronizing super well with, with some notions that I had about where I'd start out with him. And so the fact that we were then able to literally kind of build that that ending and beginning uh, a little bit off of each other's was awesome. Of course, the two of you are not alone in all the work you do on The Man Without Fear. Chip, you're wrapping up the run alongside artist Marco Caquetto, who's drawn nearly 30 of the issues you've written. And Saladin, you're launching with pencils by Aaron Cooter, a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, I imagine it's it's got to be fun to have these incredible partners alongside you as you start and, and continue on and sometimes end your runs. Yeah, I mean, I think especially with a title like Daredevil, like Daredevil has some great runs and they're always writer-artist combos, right? Like my favorite is Nascenti and John Romita Jr. But, you know, you got like Wade and Samney, which is amazing. Bendis and Malieve, Brubaker and Lark. Like there's so many combos that it really, really helps the title, I think, to kind of maintain a relationship between a writer and an artist. I've been, I was really lucky with Marco. The fact that he wanted to stick around, even though Marvel editors, I'm not going to name names, but tried to steal him for other books because they realized how good he was and he was being wasted with me. But Marco stuck with me for some reason. And I think it's helped the book a ton, knowing that he's drawing the last issue and that he drew the first issue over such a long period of time. It's just like, yeah, you couldn't ask for kind of a better relationship. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it's been awesome on the other end, kind of launching something with Aaron Cooter, who's just, you know, you really, one person's a writer, one person's an artist, but you're, you're storytellers together when it's working in the best way. Right. And uh, Aaron has been from the ground up kind of thinking about how to tell this particular Matt story that we're telling, how to depict this particular version of Hell's Kitchen that we're depicting He's just had kind of brilliant innovations throughout the process of kind of building this early world for the book. And it's uh, super exciting to be working with someone who's not just sort of very talented, but is very committed and sees the kind of 10,000 foot vision for the thing. You can really see it on the page too. Salim's been kind enough to show me pages from issue one. And it's definitely Aaron's best work. I mean, Aaron was a great artist to start with, but the fact that he's leveled up so much working on this, I think Daredevil brings out the best in people creatively. and. yeah, you know, hey, look, I have a tinge of jealousy. I know, I'm greedy. I've been on Daredevil too long, but I saw those Aaron pages. I'm like, oh, wow. It'd be so great to write Daredevil for Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Saladin, now, when you started then having these conversations with Aaron, are you approaching your scripts for him specifically any differently than normal? Are you adding things or, or having conversations within your scripts for Aaron? Yeah, it's pretty funny because um, uh, so every writer-artist relationship is is different. And, you know, unlike Chip, I have no roots in being an artist, right? And so 
for me, it's always there's this kind of tentative communication because I know that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about <laughs> in terms of <laughs> in terms of visual storytelling. And so I have to, you know, um, be gracious in the way that I reach out. And you start out a little tentative oftentimes because, you know, you want to respect that relationship. And Aaron immediately kind of like, you know, we connected in the way he was not shy about kind of speaking about things he needed to speak up about. And so already, like with a issue two script, that tone's shifted where I'm talking directly to him in a way that usually doesn't have a tone for like five, six issues with the right with artists. So it's it's cool. It's cool. That's great. Speaking of art, you of course both have had gorgeous John Romita Jr. covers for your first issues. <laughs> but um Chip, I got I gotta ask, did you have a Frank Miller variant during your Daredevil run? I um well, you know, I mean Frank was really busy. And um, he just uh, he didn't really have the time to uh, to do it, even though he really wanted to, from what I understood. So, no, 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 not really. Saladin, I, I think I saw one for your first issue. It's pretty cool. I, I, I kind of didn't believe it when I saw it. But yeah, yeah, mine's thoroughly blown. Chip, what was your initial plan for Daredevil? How far ahead did you have Matt's and, and later Matt's and Electra's journey planned out? I had uh, almost all of it roughly in my head from the beginning the only thing that really kind of took its own shape was electro's daredevil i didn't actually have that in the initial plan but as i was writing her it became really apparent that she would step in to the role while matt was in prison yeah but like the final page of my run with marco i kind of had that by issue five i think where i was just like oh okay i can see where this is going and this is kind of where it has to end up for me, the only real wrench was the fact that the story got so big, we ended up doing an event, Devil's Reign, which meant there was kind of a bit of a reset for Daredevil. That was like, uh, the only other thing I didn't really anticipate, which kind of expanded the story a bit. Uh, that's the other kind of nice thing about Daredevil. Like a lot of the jobs that you take, you don't know how long you're going to last on it. With Daredevil, you kind of know the audience is going to be with you for you know, at least 12 issues. If you can prove yourself, then you, you can kind of keep going on. You can tell a longer story that maybe you can't uh, on other properties. So um, that afforded me the freedom to kind of like think more long-term than I actually ever have on a book before. Yeah, it's been it's been cool for me too, because I really, um, I mean, Marvel definitely encouraged me to take a big swing on this, like that kind of swing that, as Chip's saying, you have to know you got a certain amount of real estate, a certain kind of faith in the, in the character, there has to be a certain audience for the character already. And then you can kind of take your swing. And, and Marvel really encouraged that with this story that we're telling, which, you know, without giving anything away, really goes in some wild directions. It's the kind of stuff that you need runway and, and landing strip for. And uh, it's really cool to be able to build that kind of story. And then, you know, before we wrap up, I was talking to editor Devin Lewis, and he was just gushing about both runs. And then he said about the new series, we've got a big 40 page first issue. And he was also excited because, you know, much like what you've been able to do, Chip, and, and keep it separate, but also bring in a whole bunch of cool characters. Saladin, you've got really cool guest stars and stuff coming up. Anything else you want to add as we start to uh, get ready? This. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I wanted to only take this job on if I felt like I had a new, unique take on Matt and, and, and on Hell's Kitchen. And so that's at the center of this is him and his world, but it's the Marvel Universe. So what I've really enjoyed in kind of talking with other editors, other, other offices, is um, finding ways through this first couple arcs we have planned to 
keep this centered on Matt, keep this centered on his people and his world, but to bring in in very organic and surprising, I think, fun ways, uh, some familiar Marvel figures that I think are going to blow people's mind when they when they pop up on the page. It's super cool. I've read the outline. It's really fun. And uh, I wish I'd thought of it. <laughs> uh, Chip, what's the thing you're going to most miss about doing your Daredevil books? Oh, just the money, you know? Mm. I mean, it's just <laughs> those sense. fat checks coming in every month. Oh, um, <laughs> I, working with Marco, honestly, like, and Matt Wilson on Colors. Uh, it was such a joy having those pages come in almost every day. The uh, Yeah, it's sad. Like, it feels like the right time to leave. You know, when you finish a story, it's kind of when you should get off the stage. But it's like my longest run on anything in comics. And it'll probably end up being my longest run on anything in comics. Uh, because it's the kind of character that you just want to hold on to for as long as you can. Yeah, I can't believe it's done. Thank you, sweet, sweet boys. Daredevil number 12 comes out in June, number 13 in July, number 14, the final issue by Chip Zdarsky, Marco Coquetto, and crew releases in August. And the brand new Daredevil number one by Saladin Ahmed, Aaron Cooter, and team releases in September. Pre-order your comics and um i don't know say nice things to both of them oh my god the ground isn't even cold like it just went (laughs) right from one month with my ending to the next month with the new issue one Mm -hmm. can't even just let daredevil rest nope poor guy i'll pour pour one out for you chip okay thank you i appreciate it (laughs) thanks guys that's a amazing so excited i can't wait to see the the changing of the guard uh two wonderful creators uh the future of daredevil is bright and also like those little radar symbols Mm, yeah it's all of that and more lots to talk about about daredevil in the coming months but right now let's get into some other stuff starting with marvel studios ant-man and the wasp quantumania it's now on disney plus we've talked about this a lot you can now from the comfort of your own home while you are watching disney plus pause it on modox tukus enjoy it in the comfort of your home on your couch with your family invite your neighbors over and everybody say look look at this perfect buttocks enjoy it wow so go fire up your disney plus machine and get it going and next month on wednesday june 14th we're going to get marvel studios assembled the making of ant-man and the wasp quantumania over on disney plus as well combining all these immersive behind the scenes pieces of footage with candid interviews i love assembled it really reveals how this incredible new world was brought to the big screen and the screens at now your home i assume on disney plus oh and don't forget there's even more great stuff for marvel fans on disney plus in june on friday june 16th there's the stan lee documentary that's going to premiere on disney plus and the first episode of marvel studios secret invasion releases on wednesday june 21st big month june Mm mm-hmm Ooh-wee. Dates, 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 dates. We've got premiere dates for Marvel Studios Loki and Marvel Studios Echo. During this week's Disney Plus 2023 Upfronts presentation in New York City, Kevin Feige, producer and president of Marvel Studios and chief creative officer, provided a new look at three upcoming series on Disney Plus, starting with, of course, Secret Invasion, which we've said is arriving on June 21st, along with announcing new release dates for Loki and Echo. The second season of Loki will arrive on Disney Plus on 
October 6th, 2023, and it picks up immediately where season one left off. Now, if you remember, during uh, 2022's D23 Expo, star Tom Hiddleston teased that viewers will find Loki in a familiar but strange place, saying, quote, Loki is back at the TVA. He's had a very difficult confrontation with Sylvie, and Mobius and Hunter B-15 don't know who he is, end quote. We'll see what happens next. Only time will tell. Echo will arrive on November 29th, 2023 on Disney Plus with all episodes dropping onto the streaming platform that day. Uh, Of course, this new series tells the origin story of Maya Lopez, whose ruthless behavior in New York City catches up with her in her hometown. She must face her past, reconnect with her Native American roots, and embrace the meaning of family and community if she ever hopes to move forward. I can't wait for these. Oh my gosh. Heck yeah. Marvel Studios' Hawkeye with Haley Steinfeld is getting its own collector edition in a new book that went on sale this past week. Um, You can read the full interview with Haley Steinfeld, plus interviews with Jeremy Renner, Florence Pugh, Vincent D'Onofrio, and many more uh, folks from the cast and crew. And for a little preview, head over to Marvel.com to read uh, Haley's behind-the-scenes stories for the making of the series. And of course, you can pick that book up at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, Indie Bounder, or wherever you want to get your book. Definitely check these out. These are always really cool to uh, dive into. Yeah. All right. Speaking of diving into, how about diving into some Marvel games? We have a a fun feature on Marvel.com that celebrates the AAPI Month festivities. That's the Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, which we're doing stuff across all of our comics and our games. And so we we spotlighted some cool characters from the games that uh, if you want to support and you want to celebrate, maybe you could play some Marvel's Midnight Suns, greatest game of all time, uh, and check out Nico Minoru, uh, who is a member of the Runaways, but also a founding member of the Midnight Suns in the game. And she does some really cool abilities and powers. And she just, once you like really build her up, she just destroys people. It's a lot of fun. She's Uh, magic, y'all. Magic, magic, magic. Over in Marvel Snap, there's a ton of characters we could spotlight. I just pulled out two. We've got Shang-Chi, who is, of course, one of the greatest fighters in the Marvel Universe. But in the game, he's such a great late game card to throw out um, because he can destroy any opponent's card that is nine or more power. So if someone is strutting and being like, ooh, 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 I'm so strong, and then you just Shang-Chi them. Another one is Arrow. Arrow in the comics and our stories is a Chinese architect who can control the air, but she's a total jerk when you use her in the game uh, because she can pull the opponent's card to her location that you play during the same turn. So if I'm like working on one location and someone else plays Arrow, they'll pull that my card all the way over to the other location totally messes up your strategy it has just made me very angry numerous times in all the best ways possible so i love it Era's a great card over in marvel puzzle quest uh, it's a really neat thing that you can log into marvel puzzle quest throughout the month of may to unlock special aapi character covers in the vault so pulling a ton of stuff from the almost 10 years of Marvel Puzzle Quest. Uh, So we're celebrating that in really cool ways this month. And of course, over in Marvel Future Fight, we've got a ton of characters. Uh, We've got Luna Snow and uh, some of the others that we've already mentioned, but Amadeus Cho, one of the smartest minds in the MU and also a Hulk, and Crescent and Io, who are just the cutest. Crescent is a young Taekwondo fighter who has a magical mask. And then uh, Io is her magical 12 foot tall glowing bear partner. And they fight (laughs) bad guys. It's great. 
And of course, if you want more details about all of these characters and lots more stuff from Marvel games, go check out that article on marvel.com. Um, and we'll, we'll link it in the show notes. Why not? Who, who's to stop us? Mm-hmm. All right. You know what? We've been talking a lot about June because May is basically over, babies. Uh, so let's get into it. Pride Month is June. June is Pride Month. That's next month. So let's get a look at some new Pride shirts and more. Come in to shop Disney. They're now available for the 2023 Disney Pride Collection. There's a bunch of Marvel stuff that's really great. Of course, you can check it out on Marvel.com, but there's an America Chavez ear headband. There's a Poplin shirt. It's like a black button down with Marvel character icons and rainbow colors. Um, Ryan, I think you have the white version of this. Mm-hmm. And then and there's the sleeveless spirit jerseys, some lounge fly backpack, lots of cool stuff. Plus, they have stuff for Star Wars and other Disney properties um, that are super cool. Go head over to Shop Disney or Marvel.com to see more about the Marvel Pride selection that's coming your way. Tons of cool stuff over there. Go check it out. Also, this week, really fun, the Marvel HQ app, which is published by Story Toys, has launched. It's got games and videos, books, comics, activities, and more cool stuff featuring tons and tons of your favorite Marvel characters, uh, parents out there. Go check it out for the little one in your life. You can head over to the App Store or Google Play to download it now. Uh, I am definitely going to give Catherine a little, uh, you know, tablet screen time to check this out because I think she's going to have a lot of fun with it. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you watch the trailer over on the Marvel HQ YouTube channel or the Marvel YouTube channel. All right, we got some big comic book news, and I'm putting this right here. Spoiler warning. If you've missed somehow some big, amazing Spider-Man and and related comics news online this week, you may want to jump ahead a minute or two, okay? We're going to get into it, but it's out there. It's big news. You've been warned. There will be spoilers ahead. Okay. On May 31st, the highly anticipated Amazing Spider-Man number 26 will see Ms. Marvel make a heroic sacrifice in the ultimate Marvel Comics manner. And then following those shocking events of Amazing Spider-Man 26, you'll want to pick up Fallen Friend, The Death of Ms. Marvel in July, where creators and characters all say goodbye to the fallen hero. Uh, If you haven't been reading Amazing Spider-Man, you should know that right now Kamala Khan is an Oscorp intern. She's been a a great supporting character in writer Zeb Wells and artist John Romita Jr.'s run on Amazing Spider-Man. And, you know, they've sort of been building up to this big, big story here in these last couple of issues, culminating in number 26, which is a monumental moment for Kamala to save the entire Marvel Universe. All right? It's big. It's a big one. Uh, of course, this week, it was officially revealed by Entertainment Weekly that the uh, the storyline from Amazing Spider-Man number 26 will continue in July with this special one-shot. Again, it's called Fallen Friend, The Death of Ms. Marvel. It's uh, just a wonderful, beautiful issue crafted by a very special lineup of talent, including the return of the character's co-creator, G. Willow Wilson. I love Willow. The writer of Ms. Marvel's last solo series, Saladin Ahmed. Hey, you've already heard from Saladin before this episode. And writer Mark Wade, who not only brought Ms. Marvel onto the Avengers, but also wrote her central role in the team book Champions. And art in Fallen Friend will be by Humberto Ramos, who was on Champions, Takeshi Miyazawa, who had amazing stuff in Ms. Marvel, and Andrea DeVito, who is just incredible, been doing some really great work lately. So it's a heavy, heavy story we're getting into, but uh, Ms. Marvel, one of the greatest, and we will mourn her this summer. 
This week, we announced Marvel's Voices X-Men, which is another of the great Marvel's Voices anthologies. This one, obviously, spotlighting the X-Men. Great creative teams. Some of the creators involved include Greg Pak, Al Ewing, Jan Basildua, Jethro Morales, Wilton Santos, and more. So you're going to have a ton of X-Men characters to check out in here, whether it's from classic old school Xavier school days or Krakoa stories. There's a ton to get excited about in here. More details, art, and previews to come as we get ready for this. Marvel's Voices X-Men comes out in August. Yeah, we love Marvel's Voices. Our pal Angelique, who'll be on the show, works on that series. Um, and it's really cool to see this series of stories centering around the X-Men. Can't wait for it. And oh, speaking of the X-Men, X-Men fans, get ready for some 90s. Get your pouches on, your Jankos, your snap bracelets, your hyper-color t-shirts that change color when you put your hand on your butt. Do you remember those? I remember those. Anyone? <laughs> Circa 91. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you were alive. All right. So anyways, um, we've released another clip from our 60th anniversary X-Men live stream, this time focused on the late 80s, early 90s X stories. Ryan, you did it. Tell us who all you got to talk to. Yeah, I got to talk with Rob Liefeld and Mark Silvestri, amazing creators who are, are still very active these days, but were just crushing it in those late 80s early 90s we talked about deadpool and wolverine x-men x-force the wild times that they had the really fun stuff doing crossovers a whole bunch it's a great conversation and the full conversation is now available on marvel's youtube and marvel.com and maybe we can hear a little clip there was no bigger franchise than x-men uh growing up it was my and remains my favorite uh group of characters, group of stories. And and so the opportunity when given the call to come and work for Marvel and draw X-Men related titles, uh, I, I, you can't imagine how thrilled I was. And, and at the same time, how intimidated because of course, you know, I had to slot an X-Men issue in between uh, the gentleman that I'm, that I'm, I'm on here with Mark Silvestri. Um, I'm like, oh crap, I have to draw. You did, you did all right. You did all right. <laughs> My 20s, I was working with the biggest writer in comics. I'm the biggest book in comics. It it rarely gets any better than that. And and I was just happy to be there and work with Chris. Chris was a great collaborator and uh, very open to my visual interpretation of, of whatever characters he was going to throw my way. Great, great stuff. All right, let's shift over from X-Men talk to Symbiotes because Summer of Symbiotes has arrived and we are talking about Ryan. Carnage's Slayfest. Ryan, you, you pronounced it wrong. It's Summer of Symbiotes. Oh, I, and I can do it really well now that I have these friggin' things in my mouth. Summer of Symbiotes. Oh, yeah. Sounds like retainers. <laughs> oh, God. Make it end only five and a half more months. All right. This uh, the summer of Symbiote and Carnage's Sleigh Fest begins in the death of Venomverse. And, you know, the first issue is coming August 2nd. This week, we revealed all the covers for the five issue series. They're pretty neat. They're wild. It's going to be brutal and intense. Uh, but one of the reasons why we wanted to share it and hope you go check it out on Marvel.com is one of the covers seems to hint at the return of Null, the king in black. And he's he's basically just like lording over Carnage. What will that mean? How will that play out in the story? We shall see. Again, Death of the Venomverse, number one, arrives August 2nd. Okay, but what if I wanted something sooner, like an Avenger or a, many Avengers? Um, because this week, Avengers 
has launched. It is this week. So uh, we actually got to hear a little bit about this. We have an interview with Jed McKay, writer of the series. He's working with CFVIA on the series with a whole new squad of bad guys. And uh, it was like, it was really fun because I had like the names and they're kind of general, my general ideas and like the power descriptions and stuff. And CF would come back with these designs and they're you know, so much wilder and cooler than what I originally envisioned. And then in that, we're kind of like changing how their powers work and like we have new ideas for how stuff works, which is like really fun and collaborative to, to, you know, to work with someone to, to make up something new. And then once we finish, we're like, well, okay, sick. So we're all set. And we kind of both at the same time, you know, in the chat, we're like, now we get to see Stuart Eminent draw them, which is going to be even more sick. Speaking of Avengers number one, it's one of your picks this week for your podcast, Ryan. Um, yeah. Tell us everything about it. Yeah, over on Marvel's Pull List podcast, we talk about all the new comics this week. We give three picks of our favorite issues. And Avengers number one, definitely uh, an easy, easy one of our picks. We also chose Fantastic Four number seven slash number 700, which is for anyone out there who is a fan of Doctor Doom. It is a really good Doom issue. And X-Men number 22, which just... So good. I've been a big fan of Forge, the mutant Forge, for a oh, long yeah. time. Forge gets a great little spotlight in here and tons more wonderful comics this week. Listen to the show to find out why we chose them. Also, we have a great reading club this week with writer Victor Laval coming on to dig into a single issue, Daredevil number 283, which I've read a bunch of times, and I was so glad Victor picked this. It is an incredible one by Anne Nascenti and Mark Bagley, and it features Captain America and Daredevil sort of like thinking about the American dream in a really cool way. Wonderful conversation. We also talked about Victor's work on Sabretooth and more. Of course, new episodes of Marvel's Pull List are out every Tuesday, which is perfect timing to help you get ready for Wednesday's new comic book day. Listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. All right. Coming up, we have Anjali Crochet interviewing Jason Reynolds about his new book. And of course, we're going to have your community messages and a Marvel Insider code. You're welcome. So stick around. All right. You are listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos. And I am Lorraine Sink. And yeah. we are Keeping on, keeping on. Mm -hmm. All right. Our colleague, Angelique Rocher, she spoke with Jason Reynolds about his brand new book, Miles Morales, Suspended, a Spider-Man novel. Jason is, of course, a number one New York Times bestselling author of many award-winning books. He's also the author of Miles Morales' Spider-Man, which came out in 2017. We've had him on the show before. He is a ding-dang delight. Let's hear them chat right now. Yo! Congratulations. Thank you. So funny because I remember our first conversation and how excited I was about the pros, Miles Morales, and getting a chance to talk about this new dynamic, right, of who he was and having him be written by a black man and having him speak Spanish and like mm -hmm. having these other dynamics come into play. And now we're on book two. We are on book two. We are and on book two. I'm talking to Jason Reynolds. Hey. Hey. And we are talking about his sequel. We can call it a sequel, right? To it's definitely a sequel. Miles Morales, which, yo, the whole title suspended. <laughs> Once you start reading the book, is like, damn. Hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, oh. So you have you have a really cool origin story as an author, as a writer, as a poet, but also at Marvel. Your first book at Marvel was Miles Rouse, but that wasn't your first book. Like you've been writing no. for a good minute. Yeah, it's my 20th year in the industry. I'm a young OG, you know what I mean? <laughs> you are actually younger than me. I have a lot of feels. Um, <laughs> not, not not by much. We are definitely contemporaries, and I will take that young part of the OG Absolutely. any day. Um, for you, though, what I love about your work is that it's true. It's almost like part of your DNA, right? You... You know, discovering poetry, discovering lyrics, kind of picking up the culture of hip hop and slam poetry and and building out your words from there. For those who are just getting to know your work, you know, how did you get into the actual writing part of it? Because a lot of folks will love rhyme, but the writing part is work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think yeah, it's such a good question. I, I think the writing part, it's funny because it actually was rooted in necessity and compassion. I think... When I was a young person, I needed to figure out a way to to process my emotions, right? So this is the necessity part. I think, you know, you're young and growing up in black communities, oftentimes the one thing that is sort of, well, and not as much these days, but when we were coming up, you know, one thing that was sort of left off the table was a space for you to express your emotions in a safe and vulnerable way, just because vulnerability always had the potential to put you in a space of of, of danger. And so as a sensitive kid, which I was, I was a sensitive kid in an insensitive environment, I needed to figure out where to put it. I needed to figure out where the spaces were, where, where, where were the third spaces that I could actually sort of be expressive in a way that didn't make me feel small. I even come from a tough family, the kind of family that's, that always is like, why are you so sensitive? Why are you? And it's like, yo, my feelings hurt. My feelings hurt. Like, I don't know what you want me. Which, why is that a problem? You know what I mean? And And, and all of that stuff has a way of sort of whittling away at you if you're not careful. So 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 I, I needed to figure out where to put it. And then the other thing was uh, at this at the at the very moment I'm discovering poetry and discovering lyrics as a 10-year-old, my grandmother is transitioning and she passes on. And I'm met with this uh very new experience of hearing your mom uh mourn, right? And and then you know, the first time you hear your mama cry, it, it's visceral and 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 you feel like it's chemically changing you. It's, it's strange, you know, and so I was trying to figure out, you know, compassionately how to make her feel better. And I wrote a few lines on a piece of paper and I gave it to her and she printed it on a funeral program. All right. And in that moment, I realized that, like, oh, wait a minute. So everybody read this and everybody likes this and everybody's telling me they feel better after reading it. And when you're 10 years old, the one thing that you're waiting to figure out is where exactly your power lies. All right? And now I knew right them in that moment. And that was sort of the beginning of this long life in literature for me. You've had your own books, you've told your own stories, but jumping over into the Marvel realm in 2017, what was it about Miles Morales' Spider-Man that made sense for you to kind of cross over into this space? A few things happened. So first, (laughs) I didn't know much about Miles, right? Which in and of itself was a travesty. It was wild to me at that time that this character existed and I knew nothing of him. That doesn't mean, I mean, there were people who did know, but I, to me, it felt like he should have been as ubiquitous as Peter, right? Yes, their lineages are different and Miles was new at the time, but it just felt like such a big deal for me to not know anything about <laughs> at the time, right? 
And then I, w- I remember I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is a true story. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was on the fence about whether or not I was going to take the gig to, to, to work on Miles. And I'm in an in-school suspension class, actually. I was about to leave the school, and they said, before you go, we got six or seven boys, all black boys, who are all in, in, in ISS. Can you just go and pop your head? And they missed your presentation because they in trouble. Can you pop your head in and give them um, some words of encouragement? Absolutely. It's a no-brainer. Uh, I pop in, and we get to talking. And they're like, yo, so what you working on, man? We, You know what I'm saying? We love Long Way Down. We love whatever, whatever. What you working on? I said, man, I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to take on this, this thing for Marvel. They got this Miles Morales character. They all say, who's Miles Morales? Right? And I say, this is like black Spider-Man. He's, he's, he's black and Puerto Rican. He from Brooklyn. And they say, yo, true story. They say, yo, like, he from the hood? Like, he got on, like, Jordans? He got on, like, true story. This is before the movie. This is before all of this, right? And they get to sparking up, and they're like, yo, are you, like, he like, he dressed like us? He talked like, he from... And I'm like, yo, I don't know. But in that moment, I decided that I would take the kid, right? That moment, their their excitement and their and their yearning for it. They're like leaning forward, like, wait a minute. Like, you mean to tell me there's a Miles Morales that that potentially could be having a similar experience that we have, right? And, and that was enough for me to, to, to make that call and say, look, I'll take the gig and I, I'll figure it out. So now we're on the second book, Miles Morales Suspended. A Spider-Man novel, illustrated by Zeke Pena. You know, I'm excited about this because I remember senior editor Lauren Bissom being so excited and not being able to tell me much, <laughs> except for the fact that the format was going to be um a little different, yeah. a little bit more Jason. Uh, <laughs> so... Talk to me about your approach to this book in your own words. But that's the thing, right? I, so first of all, it started as a bet. I was talking to some friends of mine, and I was arguing about how I feel like my folks who write spec fic and like fantasy and sci-fi, how they got the biggest imaginations, but they refuse to shake up the format, Right. And so we're getting to this argument and we're like bumping heads and they're like, man, you don't understand. This is a different thing. It ain't like contemporary fiction. We got readers who like a certain thing. Back and forth. And I'm like, man, look, you the artist. You dictate what the readers want. You do that. Like, it's your job, right? Um, and we have this argument. They're like, well, you try to do it. And I, you know, say less. Say less. Because for me, n- not because I think I can, but because I think it's worth a shot, right? And so I um, have been thinking about what would it be like? I, you know, after Long Way Down, everybody's like, are you going to write another book in verse? And I was like, no, I don't think every book belongs in verse. I think it's a very particular thing, right? And I think it should be purposeful and meaningful and thoughtful. And It's not a way to cheat, right? It's harder. It should be harder to do, right? And so I'm, I'm always like, no, no, no. But then I thought to myself, man, here's an opportunity. If I'm thinking about how to cast the widest net for this kind of book, then I want to figure out how do I hit every pocket of reader? How do I figure out how to get the comic book cat who's used to reading cells, right? Five words in a cell. How do I get them to be engaged? Maybe they're not prose readers. Maybe they don't want to read a novel. They're used to reading block by block. How do I get them? How do I get my my bookworms who love the novel format? How do I get them? How do I get cats who like the visual effect? How do I get the, the TikTok generation who needs multiple stimuli and moves quick? 
how do I get multiple voices in the story where you get Miles's internal dialogue and you get sort of the the sort of context of everything happening around him? So these are all the questions that I have, and and so the format, which is all of Miles's language and conversation and internal dialogue, his interior life is happening in verse, and then sort of in prose, you're getting the environment, right, and what's happening around him, the classroom, the school, the background. Um, and and each page or each spread pretty much has both of those things happening. And every 10 or so pages, you'll see an image. Um, wow. It's art, right? We make an art. That's all. For you, what does that look like as you're laying the story out? The way that I think about these things is, especially when it comes to a story like Miles. I mean, with all my books, it's it's a similar process in terms of like, who's speaking? Like, who are we following around? And what are the problems? Like, what's what's getting in the way of their lives, Right. Um, but when you're dealing with a superhero, it's literally a matter of life or death. And, and the question becomes, what's getting in the way, not just of their lives, but in the way of their ability to save other people's lives, right? It's really for me. I'm like, how do I make this book really hard to write? Because if it's not hard to write, I don't want to write it. If it's mm. if, if it's easy to write, it's going to be a bad book. I've got to stretch because the more I stretch, the more creative I'll be and the better the book will be in the long run. Now, it's going to put me through the ringer, right? Mm-hmm. But if you see it and you're like, yo, this is this is a different thing I'm holding in my hand, that's because I've had to toil. But I chose that toil by creating parameters. So in this particular story, it was like, hey, how would Miles be able to be Spider-Man if I trapped him in a single room for the entire day? Mm-hmm. Right? The whole book is in one room, one classroom. He's in a classroom 99% of the book, he's in one room. And so the question is, well, how does he not blow his cover? How does he still save anything or anyone, including himself, in danger? How do we even create uh, a problem that actually will work for the environment and have it be a sequel from the book that he's that I'm, that I'm coming off of, right? Which still has to be a part of the story. All of that was on the table. And then I just basically made a mess of things and until it made sense to me. It's just put, putting pieces to the puzzle together. Within the last 10, 20, 30 years, comic books and comic book um, stories, particularly those that are centered around uh, black and brown superheroes, have had an ability to acknowledge universal truths of inter, you know, this ingrained racism, this uh, this idea of um, institutional racism and, and over-disciplinary um, mm-hmm. situations, right? You do not shy away from it at all. Like, page one, (laughs) first poem, like, we are already in this idea of Miles is a superhero, but Miles is a black teen in New York. And there are some experiences that are very specific to that. You know, for you, what themes did you know you wanted to really Uh. pull out for Miles in this book? So first, let me say this. My mantra for Miles, the sort of anchoring point for me when it comes to this character, for my own work right now, everybody had, there are lots of people who write Miles and everybody has their own thing. But from my version of Miles, the one thing, and this is from book number one, the, the sort of sentence at the top of my notebook is, what does it mean to put on a mask and be invisible and then take off the mask and still be invisible? Right. But using that thing as sort of the true north of the way that I'm telling these stories. Right. And so in this particular situation, what I'm thinking about, I I live in the world. It is impossible for me to make a thing divorced from the zeitgeist. 
I just can't like it. And so what am I what I'm thinking about is over harsh punishment for black children, specifically black boys in school, but simultaneously, I'm thinking about book banning and censorship. What does it mean to be a banned child and what does it mean to have your stories banned? So there's this moment when we start talking about Miles's incarcerated cousin Austin and the connections. One left turn or that one right turn. That yeah. one moment, if if the number 42 hadn't popped up and that wasn't Miles's number and he didn't end up at that charter school and he wasn't going to Brooklyn Visions or if his dad had decided to, you know, hang tough, you know, with Uncle Aaron, yeah. you know, what does that look like in a different world? And I think that's such a necessary evaluation yeah. Because one left or right turn, one good or bad day, you know, one stop sign, one red light, one bad teacher who is teaching you antebellum history <laughs> um, changes the course of everything. And so talk to folks a little bit about Austin, because I feel like Austin seems very important to the story. Yeah, yeah. I love Austin. Austin was the one who made some of Miles' suspicions make sense in book one. He was, he was some of the glue there. And I think in this book, I can't spoil it, but there's a reason that he's here too. I mean, even when I think about uh, Uncle Aaron and Jeff Davis, right? Like, it's the same story. I heard Marlon Wayans talking about this the other day on a, on a, on a podcast. He was like, look, I grew up in the, in the projects and I grew up with friends who are serving life in prison for no other reason than the fact that my father told me come in the house. Right. We, we're all good kids. It's just that some of us went right. Some of us went left. And it's like a, a split second that could change your life. This is a, this is a spoiler, a secret, not a spoiler. But what people don't know about Miles, my version of Miles from the first book was that when I went into the, the, the office to, to pitch my idea, I pitched it based on Kevin Durant because mm. Kevin Durant grew up, up down the street from me. And when everybody's growing up, Kevin Durant is making choices. He grew up in a neighborhood where he could have easily gone a very different way. But instead, he stayed on the basketball court. Kevin wouldn't cuss. Kevin wouldn't drink. Kevin wouldn't. He made different choices. You yeah. see what I'm saying? And just like yeah. that, he became a superhero while some of the other homies in the community went went different ways. Right. And so like, that's just our lives. Like, it's also the reason why I think that Miles Morales is one of my favorite things about this character, the way that I'm thinking about him, at least, is that if you're Miles and you, or you're Kevin Durant or you're any kid in the neighborhood like this, then your superpowers are woven in. They're ingrained into your survival as a person. Spidey sense is something I was born and raised with. My mama gave me Spidey sense. Right. Like, you better know when the trouble is coming. Right. <laughs> you better know. Right. And like, what does that mean? I just like to make sure that we humanize young people across the board, not just say, take one and lift them up on a pedestal, but we also take the one that maybe was dealt a different hand and we make sure that he has skin and bone and flesh and meat and muscle and heart, right? He's a person too who has value, who has value, you know? I love it. And I mean, and that's the first thing I thought about when I was reading Austin's story as it starts getting like integrated into the larger narrative is like, this is a humanization of this young man. Absolutely. Um, even with the questions that Miles asks when he goes to visits, like, do you have books in here? Can you have books in here? What books yeah. do you like to read? Are you reading books? And those are questions that it gets asked so seldomly to young men in that position. You know, and I think it's it's really interesting because it's also a heavy influence on family. Like, Miles has always been family, right? Yeah. He's got... 
Rio and he's got Jeff, right? You know, Uncle Aaron had a huge impact on him. And now you've got Austin. You know, for you, your family has also had a huge impact on you. Oh, yeah. Um, in the acknowledgement, you know, you you said writing this book was very difficult. But you also mentioned that your father has passed. And I'm sorry to hear that. Um, thank you. My condolences. Um, and you thank your parents in the acknowledgements. And I, I'm the kind of person that would do the same thing. Like, yo, they hustled. They did what they needed to do so I could be here. It's something kind of new for you. I don't think I've seen you shout out pops before. You know, how did your parents, whether in the beginning or as they finally went, like my parents were like, oh, so this is a career. Like you're actually going <laughs> to, you know, how did how did your parents support your career? You know, I'll tell you, it's interesting because they didn't understand. My mom is a 77-year-old woman from South Carolina. There's no way that when her 21-year-old or 19-year-old tells her, like, I'm moving to New York to be a writer, that she can wrap her mind around that, right? That's Because it wasn't a possibility for her in her own life, right? And it's scary for a parent, for their kid to say, like, yo, I'm not going to take an alternative way, right? I'm going to take a different path. They they raised me. They gave me wow morals and ethics. They were super liberal and progressive parents. I was a free black boy, who you know what I mean. Like I ain't. I didn't grow up with no shame. I don't know nothing about no shame. I don't have none of that baggage, right? So I want to be very clear. So that's the first thing. But when I was twenty seven, I was working in a clothing store in New York City. I was in the industry at twenty one. It didn't go well. Got back in the industry around twenty seven, and I was working in the clothing store. And I called my mom. And I was like, I'm stressed out because I'm trying to work on this book, but I'm doing this thing. I got to go to work and I got to. And my mom, a woman who worked 40 years in the same company, retired and then worked 20 years as a school teacher <laughs> and then retired again in 2020. My mom said, maybe it's time for you to quit. She ain't. I come from a family. We work. That's it. And then you work and you die. You work. That's it. Like you just, you know what I mean? 40, 40, 40, 40 hours a week, $40,000, 40 years. And then that's that's a life, right? And I said, okay, mom, if you say so. Then my dad called a couple of days later. They hadn't spoken to each other. My dad like, yo, maybe it's time that you cut loose. He was the same way. I come from working people, right? And, and that moment was the moment I realized, because I'm a family boy. I love my family. I respect my folks. And I look for validation from them, especially back then. And that moment where they both were like, yo, kid, just go ahead and swing the bat, was more motivation, I think, than either of them have ever known. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel that on a very deep level. Uh, this has been such a, a an exploratory journey for, you know, the folks who have read the first book, and I know it's going to be for those who read the second book. And there is, you know, I love it because I was reading it. I actually told my producer, I said, there's a lot of Jason in this book. And I love it. You know, what's it been like being able to create this journey for Miles, for the yeah. readers? It's cool. I think ultimately, you know, writing anything is hard. And writing something that's IP is harder, right? Because there are all sorts of rules and stuff that I got to make sure that I adhere to. And all that said, honestly, this particular character, for me, it will be a, just a shining moment in my life. I get to be a part of an incredible legacy for however long I, I get to be a part of it, right? Like um, something that, like my name is in that book forever. And my, because, because the truth is, is that what I was looking for from Miles in 2016, when I was like, who's Miles Morales? Now, 
everyone knows who not just because of me, obviously, but because of just what ended up happening. Everyone knows who Miles Morales is. Now he is ubiquitous. And I get to be a part of that, that sort of that story uh, for the rest of my life. Nobody can erase my my very small contribution. Nobody can erase. And I'm I'm grateful for that. I love it. Well, on that note, I would love if uh, you have any part of the book or a poem or or uh, a piece that you'd love to read for the listeners. Uh, just a, just a little sneak sneak. Mm. Uh, this is so. This is Miles basically talking about his neighborhood. Yeah. All right. So here we go. He says, "Morning is for the birds and the buses." and the occasional chunky heel clacking toward the workday and the call to prayer and the raucous rattle of security gates lifting and eyelids lifting to meet a sun that barely breaks the brownstone roof line, everything orange. Afternoon is for the birds, the pigeons picking at pizza and leftover heroes, crosswalks like drawbridges for the fresh out of school and the old ladies coming from rubbing pennies against scratch-offs before the kids rule the bodega, bugging out, Talking tough like smiles are a dead giveaway, but not juice stains or barrettes. Night is for the birds. On Miles' block, there was Miss Shine, a woman who faithfully got up every day to water the flowers she'd carefully planted in beds in front of her house. Everyone knew she was waiting for her son Cyrus to return home, though no one knew where he'd gone. Somewhere high, somewhere low. And Mr. Frankie, the block's handyman, always covered in dust or paint, a walking abstract art piece, and Fat Tony, who sat on his stoop all day, bumming cigarettes and stealing lighters, only dude in the neighborhood with a basset hound, and a young woman named Frenchie, who managed the dollar store like it was a million-dollar store, or her son Martel, who was probably one of the best ball players in Brooklyn, at least that's what Frenchie hoped, or Neek, who had seen more than anyone would ever know, war real war, and peeked at the block through the blinds of his apartment as if waiting for a tank to roll by. And of course, Rio and Jeff, Miles's mom and dad. I love it. And for those who've like lived in New York, and particularly for those who've lived in Brooklyn, it's just such a perfect synopsis of what it means <laughs> to live on that one single block. One block is a whole world. It's a whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of people, it's it's been their whole life. Absolutely. Um, so I got to know, you know, can can we expect some more miles from you in the future? We'll see what life does. Man. I never closed the door, so we'll see. That sounds promising, and I'm going to take that. But <laughs> in the meantime, like, what other projects would you like folks to know about you're currently working on? And, you know, where can they uh they learn more about you and all your, your dope work? Miles comes out. Um, and after that, uh, in uh, August, there's Stunt Boy which is a book for little kids that I've written. It's a series. And then after that, in October, there's a picture book called A Party for Langston. So this year, there's a there's a lot of stuff going on um, for every age group. You know, rock with me. And if you're looking for me, I'm at all the social media at, at Jason Reynolds 83 My website is jasonwritesbooks.com. Thank you, as always. It's dope to see you. Always, always. Right, that was Anjali Crochet talking with Jason Reynolds about his new book, Miles Morales Suspended, which of course is available to purchase wherever you get your books, wherever books are sold, go and grab it. And of course, uh, share some love with Angelique. Welcome her to the show next week. Yeah. All right. We're going to be talking with her next week about our question of the week as we get into community section, aka 
this week in messages. <laughs> it just felt like going real high this time. I, I like that. It, you sounded like um the the judge in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. So good. All right. Yeah, next week on the show, we will have Mike Mulvihill from Robinsberger Games talking about the Marvel Villainous series of uh, board games, which are wonderful. And then plus, 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 super cool. We have a sweepstakes where some lucky This Week in Marvel listeners might win some fun Robinsberger Games loot. So you got to stick around next week. Stay tuned for that. Thinking about that, thinking about Marvel Villainous, our question of the week for this week is... What Marvel villain would you want to be and why? See, this is such a good question because I feel like it would be really freeing to just be like, I'm a heel. I don't care what people think of me. Burn the world down. Me, 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 me. Like, you know, in in the best way. Like, (laughs) in the best way. (laughs) I'd love to be Loki. I feel like he's got a ton of magic. He Uh, loves mischief. He's having so much fun. Just getting it on with everyone and everything. Being immortal. Getting forgiven. Doing nasty stuff. Being an animal or whatever. Just like... Whatever form he wants to be. I want to be Titania, who's just like, you know what? I'm a big lady who wants to crush people. Yeah. (laughs) I just like my only goal is to prove I am stronger than other women. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. I'm looking around at like some of the the action figures. You don't want to be Modok with his tiny legs and hands and a big noggin? Yeah, of course I want to. Just, you know, get a big old head, tiny body. Floating around on my special toilet chair. It's, it's amazing. All that stuff is, is wonderful. I'm trying to think of others. I, you know, I've toilet always been a Thanos chair. fan just because I, you know, since I, being a kid and he's just so weird and, and nasty, layered. I don't know. I think I'm sticking with Loki though. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm done with I, Loki. I want to I be a villain who has fun. I want a villain with hobbies. <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, you know, thinking of that, like White Rabbit or some of like the lower stakes, just having fun, like Spidey villains seem they'd be pretty Paste cool. Pot Pete. Oh, give me some Paste Pot Pete. <laughs> it's just me and my paste trying to get into hijinks. How about I'll be Stiltman, you be Lady Stiltman. <gasps> I would like to be Lady Asbestos Man, I think it is. <laughs> what is it? Oh, no, Asbestos Lady? What's her asbestos name? Asbestos Lady, yeah. Uh, she tries Asbestos she can. <laughs> great very very good of course we want to hear from you we want to know which marvel villain would you want to be and why you can email us at twimpodcast at marvel.com you can use the hashtag this week in marvel across social media with your answers please make sure to tell us it is okay to read twim on the show so we can read it here on the show and of course you can send us a message on our facebook page facebook.com slash this week in marvel you're welcome Yeah, last week's question of the week was, what was your favorite moment from Marvel Studios' Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Got a ton of great answers. Let's dig into them now. And just a warning, we're Mm. trying not to spoil the whole movie, but there might be some soft spoilers in here. You've been warned. Yes. The end. There we go. At Fredtastic314 says, my favorite scene in Marvel Studios' Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was seeing the Guardians resolve fortified against the high evolutionary after seeing what he did to young Rocket and nothing was going to stop them. My feelings. Mm-hmm. All right. We got Christian Angeles at XN underscore Angeles who said, Rocket during the final escape when he's busting them out and tells his friends that they're all going to fly away together. And then all the sad things happened made me miss my BFFs. 
Seriously. Ethan at Geekin' Out Ethan says, I love the moment when No Sleep Till Brooklyn plays in the final battle. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Kinsey at McKinney1018 said, when other Gamora finally understood Groot's language and seeing Drax and Nebula dancing with everyone. Yeah. Kimberly Feist at Red and Gold Faith tweeted, I absolutely loved the whole movie. And there were so many moments that I absolutely loved. But two that stand out the most are when Groot told them that he loves them. And when Nebula showed actual emotions, cried through the entire movie. Ah. Ah. <laughs> so many feelings. Okay. Sunstorm Prime 125 at SM Sunstorm said, uh, one of my favorite moments was when Rocket finally accepted that he was a raccoon. My theater went nuts when that happened. I love different theatrical reactions and, and just like it's what the people best. connect to. It's so good. All right, we got an email here from Joe Hoffman who says, in answer to the question of the week, my favorite scenes in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which I went and saw this past weekend, I considered it my homework assignment so that I could take part in this week's question of the week, which I really <laughs> enjoyed doing. It had to be the Rocket origin story scenes. They were simply amazing that those scenes really tugged at my heart while I was in the theater watching the movie, and they are still pulling my heartstrings today as I'm writing this message to you all. I also really love the different ways that Volume 3 referenced their holiday special throughout the movie, especially the during the final end credit scene where it was referenced in the newspaper that Star-Lord's grandpa was reading. That was really cool. And Joe also had some very lovely things to say about Lorraine's book, Powers of a Girl. Thanks, Joe. Oh, thank you, Joe. That's so kind. All right. We got an email here from Gary Lee Flat, who said, hello, Twim Team. My wife is an elementary art teacher currently, but has taught several different grade levels over her five years of teaching. She teaches at a low income school and she sees the kids struggling with reading and wants to start a comic and graphic novel reading club for the kids. Her question is, what comics should she start the kids on? We picked up quite a few comics at Free Comic Book Day, but also wanted to get her some other suggestions. She wants help with second grade through fifth grade. That's such a great question, Gary. We've actually talked about this a little bit with some of our um, other listeners. Second grade to fifth grade, they're quite young. I think some of the Scholastic books would be great. There's some original graphic novels by Scholastic for some of the younger kids that maybe second grade level, you might want to do some of the Marvel-themed storybooks, like Goodnight Groot, Grow Up Ant-Man. There's a <laughs> bunch of really cute ones if you want to start with sort of storybooks. I also think a lot of the like the classic comics are really easy to dive into. We've reprinted them uh, a ton of ways. There are smaller digest versions that are a little bit lower priced that might help. Like those, the Mighty Marvel Masterworks, so the current versions mm, yeah. of those, which cover the original runs of Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, uh, Black Panther, uh, a ton of different characters. Those are, are probably really, really helpful and really good to, to get kids started. I have a friend of mine who is reading through all of uh, Uncanny X-Men with his kid. His kid is probably like eight and they're doing it together and they're doing it by reading the originals and starting from there and learning about the characters and the art style, I think, lends itself to younger minds and the, the format is a little bit, in some ways, less complex. Mm -hmm. You know, you get into some of the, the cool, weird stuff that Jack Kirby and, and Steve Ditko and others were doing, sure, but... I think those are really still very strong for younger early readers. So those there, if you can find copies of the Marvel Age and Marvel Adventures books from oh, yeah. about 10, 15 years ago, those are really good. Those are meant for younger readers. And then in recent 
last couple of years, we've been doing reprints of older comics. And in sometimes I think they're a little bit cheaper, um, lower price point called Marvel Tales. Um, and those we've been putting out, you know, like first appearance of this character or those kinds of things that might be a good way to to dig into a variety of Marvel heroes. Also, I will always shout out Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, um, especially with the new animated series. If if kids are starting to encounter that series and watch it, um, the comics are really great, fun, a perfect age for those comics. So definitely check those out, too. Um, I, they should be available in trade now as well. Yeah. Hopefully all those suggestions were good. Gary, keep us posted. Let us know if we've helped, if we've hindered, uh, if we can uh, assist any further. All right, we got an email here from our pals, Heather, Fiona, and Nolan, and they said, the kids are so excited to share their favorite moments with you. For Fiona, it was when the team was walking very serious, and then there was Cosmo being a very silly pup. For Nolan, it was the post credit scene where the Guardians continue to do their work protecting the galaxy. For me, two words, good dog. Thank you, Heather, Fiona, and Nolan got an email here which says i went and saw guardians of the galaxy in the imax marathon it was wonderful seeing the complete story from meetings to endings my favorite part of guardians of the galaxy volume 3 was when this is the day by the the began playing not only was the scene with nowhere great but i can't stop listening to the score and the soundtrack and p.s love me some space dog cosmo well, thank you, Pristine Dream, for that wonderful email. And, oh, man, I am super duper jealous you got to see the IMAX Marathon. So last week, Lorraine, I don't know if you remember, we asked our listeners what their favorite fries were because we were talking <laughs> yeah. about fries. So we got two emails about fries. Brian in Ohio says steak fries. Always steak fries. Darn it. Now I want steak fries. Steak fries are good, but you got to be ready for it. If I have a steak fry... I want it to be so deeply fried that it's like crunchy at parts because those are big, thick fries. I need a crunchy fry. Mm -hmm. I, I prefer the spice. Mm -hmm. Oh, speaking of. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, uh, we got an email from Steve Agnew who said, hi, Lorraine and Ryan. Uh, you asked my favorite fries. <laughs> well, I will concede that waffle fries are awesome. Nothing compares to crab fries from Chickies and Pete's in Philly. Uh, pictures are worth a thousand words and in Included a photograph of himself with editor-in-chief C.B. Sibolsky. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're longtime, like, old-school friends. I love it. It's yeah. wonderful. Also, I lived in Philly for a, a while many years ago, and I've never been to Chickies and Pete's. Mm -hmm. um, and now I feel like I got a new goal. I want them. Those are all delicious, wonderful, amazing things. And it is now time for the Marvel Insider Code. If you are not signed up already, head over to marvel.com slash insider, where you can earn points for doing stuff like reading comics, articles, and even listening to this very podcast. Plus, we have a very special code for listening to this episode. The code is pizza butt, clam digger. Nope. Orange fist. Incorrect. Face butt. The code is daredevil. One word, D-A-R-E. D-E-V-I-L. Or Daredevil. is it? It is. It is. That is the only code. <laughs> anyway, this code is valid until May 26, 2023. Receive 5,000 Marvel Insider points when you enter it in the This Week in Marvel podcast code redeem activity at marvel.com slash insider. There's a limited number of redemptions available. One redemption code per Marvel Insider. And Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents. 18 plus only terms apply. All right. 
that's it. That's it. Lorraine's a wrap for the summer. Yeah. I'm going to be in an inner tube, uh, going down the river, or doing a lazy river. That's what they're called. Not an actual river because I'm scared of like wild waters. <laughs> Drinking <laughs> gallons of Clamato juice and having the best time. You know it. Um, but I'll, I'll be back. Yeah. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Cara McGurk, Allison, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Pnagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Lorraine Sink. Oh, Lorraine, what a pleasure it was to have you on the show. Uh, just can't wait for you to return. Oh, thanks, me. I can't wait either. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs> <laughs>